Now, good morning, Valley Church. You ready for the word this morning? Oh, I'm excited. Let's pray together one more time. Father, we just thank you, thank you for this morning. Thank you for each one of us that have come together to worship and to celebrate you and your goodness and the love that you have for us. We give you thanks. We come with open hearts of gratitude for all that you've done for us. We bless your name. Amen. Had a pretty amazing week. My goodness. Oh, I should, you know, I should have this guy right in the middle here with the, with the gray hair and the glasses. Could you stand up just for a second? Yeah, you in the front row. Yeah. Do a little circle. That's my little brother right there. That's my little brother, Jerry. And his guest sitting next to him, Christy. Good to have him here. Uh, I woke up very, very early this morning uh, and was hearing time value, time value, time value. So the, the title of my message this morning is going to be Time is Valuable, Invest It Well. That sound good? Time's valuable. Invest it well. Um, just giving you the heads up. That's the, that's the title of the message. And I want to jump into a little bit of, uh, you know, I've been reading the Old Testament. I told you last week I've started at page one and I have completed Deuteronomy, moved into Joshua. And one of the things that, that I really, 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 to, to give you the outline He's figured out that God wanted his people to be obedient. He wanted their attention. He wanted to teach them obedience. He wanted to teach them fear of the Lord. And he wanted to teach them dependence on him, on his word, on his provision. He gave them manna. He gave them quail. He gave them water. It was like miracle after miracle after miracle of him just trying to get their attention and get their obedience, get them to listen to his word. How many of you have been reading in the Old Testament these first four books? All right, you and me. One, two. Now there's about five of us. All right. I want to <clears throat> read. Uh, we're going to go uh, probably switch up the order just a little bit in the Scriptures that I gave you up there. The first one that I want to read is going to be Deuteronomy 31.20. Let me give you a little, a, a little bit more backstory because he's brought them, he has brought the children of Israel through the wilderness. He's brought them up to the Jordan and they're ready to cross the Jordan, ready to in, inherit, to inhabit Inherit and inhabit the promised land. So he's giving them some last-minute instructions before Moses passes away, and Joshua takes the baton. And he's giving them some really clear instruction here because he's familiar with the people and their responses so far. 
They've seen miracle after miracle. They've been led by a fire by night, cloud by day. But consistently, they have been complacent and complicit and complaining. So here's what he has to say about this. Second, or, uh, Deuteronomy 31.20. Here's the really uh, important part. 31.20. See, he was really concerned about crossing them over into the land that he had promised them. So verse 20 says, When I have brought them, he's speaking to Moses, because Moses is, is sharing the, the, his last words with them at the end of this chapter. So when I've brought them to the land flowing with milk and honey, of which I swore to their fathers, and they have eaten and filled themselves and grown fat, then they will turn to other gods and serve them, and they will provoke me and break my covenant." Pretty heartbreaking for God to realize that at the end, after they've been in the desert and the wilderness for 40 years, he's got them to the Jordan, got them led through. They've seen miracle, 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 and miracle. His desire was to get their attention, to get them to be obedient to him, to serve only him, says he's a jealous God. And here's what he's saying. So it's, it, there's a, it's a warning, a really big warning there. And I feel like when I, when I read this verse right here. Seems like this is a, war a warning to all of us. When you go to, to Mexico, or I've never been to Africa, but to Africa, to India, to one of those countries where we are not nearly so well off, where we are not fat <laughs> and sassy, completely dependent on... Yeah. I'm when I'm talking about fat, I'm talking about very, very comfortable, not worrying about food. Uh, Travis, don't look at me like that, man. You're like... In fact, I'm talking even the most important part is turning to other gods. And, and worshiping idols in breaking his covenant. And, and what we can end up taking as gods in our life. I have quoted Jack Taylor, for most of you have heard me say this at least a dozen times right now, is any, an idol in your life, or another god in your life, is anything that you have to check with before you can say yes to God. Everybody's got that by now? We can easily take idols in our lives, our idols can be money, our idols can be sports, our idols can be our family, our idols can be our children. If we get so concerned about our children, particularly older children, that we are forming, carving our lives out around them and when we can end up spending time with them, and that becomes more important than God's will in our life, our children and family can become a god to us, an idol. Does this make sense? Everybody's kind of tracking with me. It's like God's saying, I know that when they come to a place 
that no longer do they have to be dependent on me for everything, for the manna, for the food, that not knowing where they're going to end up getting their next drink of water, clothes that are going to end up lasting them for 40 years, and that signs, wonders, and miracles are just an everyday occurrence to them because they have to be dependent on me. They have to be dependent on him for chasing out all of the enemy. They did not have the resources, the manpower, to end up attacking and taking over the land that was promised to them. God went before them and drove out the enemies. So they had to be dependent on him for everything. Once they have crossed over and are going to be living the lavish life without lack in their lives, God says, I know you're going to turn from me and take on other idols, making idols for yourselves. It's like rather than being dependent, loving on me, being obedient to me. Everybody with me so far? Okay. That was a concern. That was a warning that he made then. And again, I say when you are in one of the other countries and people's faith that they have is so much more. It's not faith in themselves. It's not faith in their government. It's faith in God. But we have faith in so many other things that it allows us to become complacent and in some ways complicit. It's like, oh, God, 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 get our attention again. Get our attention. And as we're, we're going to get into the time, the, the, the time value thing here in a little bit, but yesterday um, we had an opportunity to really experience someone who was valuing time. There was a couple that uh, up in McCall that we got to meet, and uh, it, she, and I say this again, she, the wife, was a general in the U.S. Army. He, the husband, was a colonel. Wouldn't that be fun? <laughs> Outranked by your wife all the way around. <laughs> like, so I, <clears throat> they had two children with them. The general had served 27 years in the military so far. And the colonel had been 26 years. She had a year longer than him, too, you know. Um, but they were sitting on the couch with their two children in between them. And we had the opportunity to minister with them. We stood around in a circle. Well, we sat in a circle, and then we stood up, but a little of all of the above, and asked them. And we, we held hands around this circle and got to, got to pray for them. But how valuable that time was and how... They were trying to make every moment count because this mom and dad, he was getting ready to go, if I remember, to Poland. The colonel was ready to go to Poland because they're going to end up receiving a bunch of our army tanks and some, you know, some weaponry. And he was going to be over there and be a part of training them up to learn how to use and how to maintain this. Getting ready to go for nine months to be away from his family for nine months. So what they're trying to do is get in every minute they possibly can, be so intentional with their time and, and the effort that they're putting into their family and their time together because they're going to be apart for nine 
solid months. It's like, wow. Now that's intentionality with your time, is knowing that you're going to be separated from your family for your children. They're not going to be in your presence or get to see you unless it's on Zoom for nine months. Can you imagine that? What that would be like, and sitting there listening to them dialogue just a little bit, and and the, the girl, 17 years old, the daughter, and I believe seven. I think they were 17 and 15. The son, 15 years old, and and she was getting ready to go to a new school. Military families bounce around all the time, you know, getting ready to have to go to a new school, and she's just saying, "Dad, I wish you could go to first day with me," and and him saying. I will make breakfast for you kids next Sunday morning because I deploy Sunday afternoon. It's like, wow, that's like time to be really, really intentional because you know the time is short and you're not going to see them again for nine months. And so I, I just thought, wow. We got to pray over that family and, and uh, I'm going to hand the names to the, to the prayer team so we can continue to hold them up in prayer over the next nine months, because next she deploys. And so it's like, wow, the sacrifice that those two make in service for our country, for our freedom, just like, oh, thank you, Lord, for what they're doing, for the call on their lives and their obedience to fulfill that call. Um, okay, I want to... I want you to, to, to grab onto this, that how valuable and important that our time is, and also that when we find ourselves, as most of us are, in this amazing, incredible country right here, it's very easy for us to become complacent and grabbing on to idols. Everybody still with me? Okay. I want to turn to... 2 Samuel, 24th chapter, we're going to read from uh, verse 18 to verse 25. King David, everybody say King David, the man after God's own heart. He kind of, he, he slipped up a little bit, made a mistake, and a prophet came to visit him to let him know what he needed to do next. Uh, this is verse 18. Now, David, a man after God's own heart, he was a worshiper. He knew how to worship. He knew how to sacrifice. He committed his life to God. And so when the prophet came to him, verse 18, that day came to David and said to him, Go up, erect an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Arona, the Jebusite. So David, according to the word of the Lord, went up as the Lord commanded. Now Arona looked and saw the king and his servants coming toward him, like, oh, the king and his servants are coming my direction. What in the world is he going to want? So Arona went out, bowed before the king with his face to the ground. Then he said, why has my lord the king come to his servant? And David said, to buy the threshing floor from you, to build an altar to the lord, that the plague may be withdrawn from our people. Now Arona said to David, let my lord the king take and offer up Whatever seems good to him. So he's saying, King David, you can take anything that I have. You can offer it to the Lord. I'm good with that. You don't have to buy or pay me anything. 
He says, look, here are oxen for... Here are oxen for burnt sacrifice and threshing implements and the yokes of the oxen for wood. All these, O king, Arona has given to the king. said, these are a gift to you, O king, is what he's saying. And Arona said to the king, may the Lord your God accept you. Then King David said to Arona, no, but I will surely buy it from you for a price. Nor will I offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God with that which costs me nothing. I am not interested in taking anything from you because an offering that the Lord is going to accept from me has to cost me something. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. See, this was like a thousand years before Jesus' time, and Jesus was sold for 30 shekels. A thousand years later, so I'm thinking this had to be quite a bit of money. So David was willing to pay. He wanted to pay. He wanted to pay everything that it was possibly worth so his sacrifice would be worth something to the Lord. When we think of bringing the sacrifice of praise into God's house, how does praise ever become a sacrifice to us? It's like probably when you're really struggling and you still come in and praise the Lord, when it doesn't feel like there's anything within you that wants to be praising or wants to be worshiping, that's when it becomes a sacrifice to him. Where it, it, it's costing something beyond just our time. I mean, we can, we remember, and I've, I've shared this before, when um, you know, it's normal for your parents to pass before you do. It's not normal for your children to end up passing before you do. So two days after our son had passed away, we were in church. We were praising the Lord, standing right over there, praising the Lord with tears flowing down our cheeks. That was a sacrifice of praise, losing a 29-year-old son with three children. So David built an altar there to the Lord, offered burnt offerings and peace offerings, so the Lord heeded the prayers for the land, and the plague was withdrawn from Israel. It's like, oh, offering, an offering that cost him something. Okay. We have time. I got some more scriptures that we're going to go to, but when I'm going to be switching back to time value now, time is valuable. Our time is valuable. Our days are numbered. Invest it well. When I think of investing of my time, anybody that I have the opportunity that to to pastor, to mentor, anybody that would be coming into my office and, and want to be talking about, about money or the Christian life and what, what, what the steps are, um, 
And thinking about investing into today by paying our tithes, but not only investing into today by paying our tithes, but some of the investment that we're making into our future. I talk about an 80-20 rule, an 80-20 rule. You know, you have a job. Everybody has a job. If you've got a job, raise your hand. Yeah, everybody's got a job. Almost everybody's got a job. And if you're not working for income, I'm sure you're doing plenty of other work, even managing and maintaining a household. But we have income. Let's, uh, the income, the check that we get every two weeks, every month, every week, whatever, whatever it is. If, and I would just say this to, to anybody that was willing to listen, if you will take, at a young, young age, if it's in your 20s, guaranteed that if you will take 20%, if you'll live on the 80% and take 20% and give 10% to the Lord, and the other 10% invest in yourself, before you start spending the other 80%, you will find that you will be investing in, your, in yourself, in your future, for your retirement. I'm just talking about for your future. And when the time rolls around, you're going to end up having enough money that you can be comfortable this make sense? So, in, we, I mean, we, we do our work, the 80-20 rule, but my goal has always been that I want to end up getting my money working for me instead of me just trading my time for money. Quit trading, leveraging, spending my time for money so I can spend my time doing other things because I have my money working for me instead of having to trade my, all of my time for money. Everybody with me still? It's like getting to the place by using a little self-control of planning and being a good steward of the finances that he has given you the power and the ability to earn being a good steward of that, doing the 80-20. Everybody say 80-20. That'll work. That'll work. It's great to start it in your 20s, but if you wait till you're 30 or 40, it's still going to end up helping out. But now I want to break down what... Also, serving the Lord. When I think time value, it's not just about a tithe. You know, tithe is what... There is no government's assistance to the church. The church is strictly run on the tithes and offerings of God's people. I think we all know that. So that 10% is, is very incredible, is incredibly important to the kingdom of God. So we are investing with the 10% that we're investing in ourselves into our future, like retirement when you don't feel so good, like working all the time. But we're also investing into eternity, into his kingdom with, another, with the other 10%, which is our tithe, right? This is just really simple stuff, but I just felt like we need to cover this again uh, because this is Christianity 101. God wants your heart... And I always say your heart and your wallet are just connected. 
If he doesn't have your wallet, he doesn't have your heart. So, I did a little bit of math, and can we get that, did we get that successfully? Uh, Yeah, there we go. One year, 24 hours a day, 365 days, has 8,760 hours in it. The average person that works a 40-hour week, works 50 weeks, has two weeks either vacation and sick time. I didn't end up subtracting holidays, though. So, you know, that would be a bonus on the other side of this is the holidays. So, so 2,000 hours that you're going to work. Figure out what your hourly, hourly rate is, and that's about what, you're, what your salary is going to be for the year. 2,000 times whatever hour you get, whatever you get paid per hour. Now, to live a healthy life, we're expected to sleep eight hours a day. Now, that means 2,920 hours are going to be necessary for us to lead a healthy life to sleep. So, if we take that 2,000 hours that we're working and the 2,920 hours that we sleep, that leaves 3,840 hours. It's like when you ask somebody, it's like, what have you been doing? It's like, oh, I've just been working, eating, and sleeping. It's like, man, what are you doing with the other almost 4,000 hours? Like, well... I kind of broke this down because when I think about time value and we're wanting to end up serving God and worshiping Him, not having other idols in our life, but being able, willing, and desiring to say yes to Him, I thought, wow, it would just be good to look at these hours that we have available. So of the 3,840 hours that we have available, If you were to go to church, if you were to come to Valley Church and spend two hours every Sunday, every Sunday, you would spend 156 hours on Sunday morning in church. If you were to go Wednesday night for an hour and 15, 20, maybe an hour and 30 minutes, you would spend 78 hours on Wednesday church. If you were a VSSM student... You would spend, and you're there every Thursday night, you're, you're watching the videos during the week, and you're every other Saturday you're there, you would spend 252 hours if you made it to every class. Meaning, 156, 78, 252 is 586 hours that you could be spending feeding your soul, feeding yourself, doing outreach with VSSM, and you would have spent a total of 586 hours for the Lord. Everybody still with me? And what does that leave? 3,254 hours still for recreation, for eating, for cleaning your house, for mowing the lawn, for painting your house. Not cleaning? Oh, for hunting, for fishing. There's a lot of things for 3,254 hours 
that we have left that's not necessary for work, that's not necessary for sleeping, that's not necessary for church on Sunday, not necessary past VSSM. That's time that would be left. That's 37% of the total hours. There's an arrow that I have on mine here. 30, oh, yeah, it says 37% of the 8,760 hours that you have left over to do whatever you want, whatever you need to do. It's like, man, for somebody to say, I would love to be in church. I just don't have time. I said, baloney. <laughs> Let's put it down on paper. You got all kinds of time. 3,254 hours. Is that good? Is that convicting? Only four people were convicted. All right. I want to... Uh, I want to read a little bit more scripture, but, you know, uh, we talked last week about fruit of the Spirit, fruit of the Spirit, and at the top of the list in the fruits of the Spirit there in Galatians 5 um, was self-control, self-control. It's like disciplining yourself. It's like to do, to be good stewards of your money, but disciplining yourself by being very intentional with your time and spending as God wanted for the children of Israel to end up having relationship, spending time with him, doing what he needed done and accomplished. And he still has that same desire for us, that we would become spending enough time to become intimate with him, to really get to know him, who he is, how he is, his character, his personality. And we got, man, 3,254 hours beyond Sunday morning and Wednesday night and VSSM. Is that not plenty of time to do that? Colleen, is that not plenty of time? No? Okay. Okay, I would like you to turn with me to, uh, what are we on, number three, John 14, 21. Now see, what, whether you're looking in the Old Testament, whether you're looking in the New Testament, we say God's love is unconditional, and I say, yes, his love is unconditional, because yet while we were still sinner, God loved us so much that he gave his son that we might, when we believe in him, have life to the abundance, that we might have everlasting life. Okay, so I want you to turn with me to, I said, John 14, 21. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me, this is Jesus speaking, red letters, he who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, 
and I will love him and manifest myself to him. So, who is the Father going to love? The one who loves Jesus. Absolutely. So, this is basically another one of those ifs. If you, then I. This is God saying, if you will accept and love my son, then I will love you. Does that sound conditional? <laughs> no? It sounds pretty conditional to me. If you will love my son. We'll read this again. He who has my commandments and keeps them. So that's you and me having his commandments and keeping them, right? He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. This is Jesus speaking. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Okay, let's move now to John 15, verse 10. Now we'll start with verse 9. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. That's like live, be, do, abide in my love. If, everybody say if. Is this conditional? If you keep my commandments... You will live, breathe, do, be in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide, live, breathe, be, function in his love. I'm going to keep going. Verse 11. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you. How, does, how do we have his joy in us? It's by abiding in his love, obeying his commandments, and then his joy will remain in us. Not just our joy, but his joy. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may remain in you. Everybody say, his joy, his joy. may remain in you and me. And that your joy may be full. That's good news right there. Verse 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Okay, we're going to turn to Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 to 46. Now we got it ready. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, so we're talking about Jesus. When Jesus comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him. He will separate them one from another as a sheep divides his sheep, as a shepherd divides his sheep from among the goats. He will set the sheep on his right hand, 
but the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in or naked and clothe you? Or when did, you, when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, and as much as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Now, last week we were talking about pure and undefiled religion is, is, is ministering to widows and orphans in their time of need and distress, it says. But, you know, I believe that anyone with an orphan spirit needs to be ministered to and brought into the kingdom. It's not, I don't believe that that's just orphans that are orphanages, that, that there are so many of us that have not yet realized the value that we have to the kingdom. And we walk around with an orphan spirit that we need to be blessed and loved on and, and, and ministered to. And I also believe the same about widows. We're preparing the bride of Christ. And anyone that is not connected, that is not ready, that doesn't already have Jesus as their Lord and Savior and, and, and the bridegroom in their life is as a widow. Does that make sense? So there's a lot, a lot, a lot of people that we have 3,460 hours to be out ministering to after we've been to VSSM and after we've been to, to church for 300 or 156 hours. Everybody with me? Does this make sense? That we need to be very proactive with our time and obedient to do what we're called to do. Okay, we're going to... Um, then, verse 41. He will also say to those on the left hand, those left-leaning people... Uh, Depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not take me in. Naked you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister to you, then he will answer them, saying, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did not do to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. Can everybody say, sin by omission? It's like, wow, wow. See, we all have a mission. And it's to take care of those that are around us. That's what we're called to do. 
We need to come to the church to be equipped and empowered to go and do. And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. All right, anybody got any questions? Then let's stand. <laughs> Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for your creation. We thank you that each one of us, you have given a gift. You've given us the ability to create and establish wealth in our lives. John 10.10 says, Jesus came that we might have life to the abundance. His plan is for us to live an abundant life. But that requires discipline and obedience, self-control. And we just thank you that you've given us the opportunity. You've given us the tools. You've given us your word. And we just want to thank you, praise you. Hear your voice more clearly and be obedient to everything that you say and call us to do. In Jesus' name, everybody said, God bless you, keep you, make his face to shine upon you and give you his peace. Amen.